0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms
3: and
0: conditions, 18 plus.
3: Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode Listening to the Audience, The Making of Come From Away, Part 2. This episode is the conclusion of my recent conversation with Irene Sankoff and David Hine, the dynamic writing team and married couple that created the international smash hit musical Come From Away. Five productions of Come From Away have recently reopened around the world, including on Broadway in Toronto, London, Sydney, and on tour across America. And a new Dutch production has just opened as well. And in addition, a live filmed version of the show is streaming on Apple TV+. On the previous episode, Irene and David related how they got hooked on musicals, and how they went from their first show based on a true story, My Mother's Lesbian Jewish Wiccan Wedding, to deciding to create a musical based on the real life events that happened in the small town of Gander, Newfoundland, in the days following 9-11. They also described what it was like to attend the 10th anniversary of the events in Gander, and then begin to transform the stories they heard there into a musical during an early workshop production at the Canadian music theater project at Sheridan College. We also explored the classic Broadway shows that influenced and inspired the writing of their book, music, and lyrics for Come From Away. If you missed part one, you may want to go back and catch up on that episode before listening to this one. Today, we look at the extensive development process that Come From Away went through on its journey to Broadway, including a workshop in Seattle, a series of productions at the La Jolla Playhouse, the Seattle Rep, Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., and the Royal Alexandra Theatre in Toronto, as well as two thrilling concert presentations in Gander, where it all began. Back in 2015, I served as the executive producer and artistic director of the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle, and as such, I had the great pleasure of co-producing that original Seattle workshop of Come From Away. This was the first time the show's Tony Award-winning director Christopher Ashley and choreographer Kelly Devine began to work on the show, and it was an absolute pleasure to reminisce about that exciting experience with Irene and David. So what happened in that workshop in Seattle? What did you learn? This was a co-production between the Fifth Avenue Theater and the Seattle Rep. It was the first time we had staged anything. or oh, okay. Sorry, we, we had yeah. staged it at, at
2: Sheridan, but it was the first time we staged it with Chris Aged and, and with Kelly. with
1: appropriate actors. We weren't really sure if it was like cute to see a bunch of students do this. We didn't know if it would work. I mean, going back, how earnest it is again, Like, we weren't sure if it would work with age-appropriate actors.
2: From a staging perspective, they picked a, a section in the middle, uh, which was the the 28 hour section it was the the switching from plane to plane to plane 28
0: hours over an
2: entire day and staged it, it very simply with chairs we had an extraordinary cast Seattle has amazing actors out there
0: meanwhile on
2: our plane we didn't have a clue we were all going insane because there wasn't what to do
0: then the captain starts apologizing says on behalf of the airline I'm giving Everyone's on complimentary booze. Open the-
2: A lot of things happened out there from a writing perspective.
1: Lost the intermission, just kept her going.
2: Yeah, we lost the intermission because our producers came up to us and they said, I think this should just go straight through because this is an experience that we're bringing people along for. And no one in Gander got to stop and check out for a second. And say, do you want to leave? Do you want to keep going? It was something that you had to go from the beginning to the end. There were some songs at the very end that we cut. I remember we, we cut we, Washington we worked that really was, hard.
1: Yeah, to keep it in. Yeah. Oh my guy, Chris Ashley is a patient man.
2: We had a beautiful song at the end for Claude to sing about an experience where he and a number of Newfoundlanders were brought to Washington to receive a Community Resilience Award. It's a beautiful story that he told, and the song should eventually get onto a Cut From Away album in some way, and to hear Joel Hatch sing it would be amazing. But it wasn't right for it. So the show got tighter, but also we saw the staging. And with Ian Eisendrath, who was introduced through Kenny and through Fifth Avenue, who had worked as a music supervisor out there, we explored the music more
3: David is referring to the wonderfully talented Ian Eisendrath, who at that time was our resident music supervisor at the Fifth Avenue Theater. And in that position, he was instrumental, no pun intended, in guiding all of the musical aspects of all of our productions, including the world premiere of A Christmas Story, which he also later supervised and conducted on Broadway. His contributions during this workshop would lead him to become the Olivier Award-winning music supervisor, arranger, and conductor of the Broadway, Toronto, and North American touring companies of Come From Away, as well as for the Broadway musical and Netflix film, Diana.
2: We threw every piece of music that I had ever listened to from Newfoundland at him, and he digested it all and turned it into something amazing. I remember we were exploring what the band makeup should be, and there was a timpani at that workshop, which was absolutely not right for the show. You could hear it the minute it was playing. Beautifully
1: done. Beautifully
2: played, but it allowed us to be like, nope, that's not right. It really started the ball rolling on what the show was.
3: It was an amazing time just to be in that room and see, was it two weeks? Yeah. 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 To just see the show go from not having found its form yet to finding so much of its form in that period was really amazing. And so proud of all the work you did on that as a team, the growth that happened there. And that's really what separates the people who succeed for the people who don't succeed is being able to see what's happening and then make the changes that need to happen and kill the babies that need to be killed along the way. Because we've developed dozens and dozens of musicals and the ones that didn't succeed were the ones where the authors just couldn't go where the show wanted to go. People equally talented, maybe some people more talented, just can't do it. They can't get the show to the end. They get stuck along the way. Sometimes I take authors and I would say, come with me and we're going to sit down way on the side and don't watch the stage. You've seen the show a million times. Now watch the audience. And they would do this and you could see when they get bored, Smart people, whether they do it literally like that or just through osmosis experience, what the audience is experiencing, you figure it out.
2: I remember doing that at La Jolla. They've got these weird things. side things that you could stand, oh, yeah. literally lean over the audience. And we just watched the
3: audience the entire time. And it was thrilling and terrifying. And, you know. <laughs> but so instructive. Because yeah. theater only works when the audience is engaged. Exactly. Yeah. But there's no in between. There's no art hanging on a wall that either you like or you don't like. The art doesn't change to get people to like it. And it's not about liking, it's about being engaged by it.
2: We were talking to some composers, and classical music is supposed to be birthed from one person's head, and it is perfect and pristine. There's interpretation of how you play it, but it's very slight, and you're trying to represent the maestro's vision of this piece. And theater is absolutely not that at all. You think it is because of Sondheim, you think it is because of the greats who we've grown up with, but you forget that they went through that entire watching the audience and getting a note from a producer that changed something hearing something from an actor changing the
1: ending chorus line again changing the ending she didn't get the part right who was it it that said it was
3: marcia mason
1: yes she's like she has to get it she has to get the part she did everything right
3: What Irene is referring to here is that when the original off-Broadway run of A Chorus Line first began performances at the Public Theater, the character of Cassie, played by Donna McKechnie, the dancer whose Hollywood ambitions hadn't panned out and now is back seeking another chance to dance in the chorus, did not get selected at the end of the show. Michael Bennett and several of the authors felt that this was the most realistic outcome, that in the world of show business, this is what would really happen. But following the second preview, actress Marsha Mason, who had been in the audience that night, strongly advocated that the ending had to change, that everyone was entitled to a second chance. And according to co-author James Kirkwood, she grabbed Michael Bennett by the throat and said, you simply cannot do that. It might be more truthful, but you just can't kill off people people's hope. You've got to give her the job. And from the third preview on, Cassie was hired to be in the show. And it
1: changed the entire path of that show.
3: Yeah, it's so interesting listening to the audience. What was the hardest nut to crack in the writing of the show? What drove you the most crazy or took the longest time to figure out? I think
1: costume party. Just trying to, again, go back to what Diane specifically, real Diane, had been telling us about how it felt to be there and have this opportunity to live a life that she didn't know she could live, even for a brief moment, or what she thought would be a brief moment. Changing into another woman's donated set of clothes. Looking different, feeling kind of different too. I
0: can't quite explain, but when I woke, when David wasn't on that plane, it's like like I I changed into somebody else but who. And it's somehow like we're at a costume party, and for a second you.
1: You not and you look around and blink your eyes and
0: barely even recognize the person in the mirror who's turned into
1: someone else. At the same time balancing that with the fear and the uncertainty. Yeah. And yet there were people who were really taking this as a moment of rebirth. For people who had lost people or who hadn't heard from people, like obviously was not what was happening for them. And just try to balance all of that and stay true to what people had told us. Holding to the truth of the moment, especially in that song, was really tough.
0: Praying for a phone call, praying for a way home. Asking questions, asking, can I get back on that godforsaken plane? And all around me people chat, and people snap, like nothing's happened, and and I need to hear We're going back before I go insane!
2: Yeah, it began as a duet between Diane and Bev.
1: Because I was obsessed with duets between women that weren't about a guy. I mean, just duets between women that weren't about them dating each other. It it came from Wicked. It came from, oh, wow, you can have... Yeah, well, and loathing. Like, they have so many, right?
2: I think the development of that was that Bev was getting a great moment with Me in the Sky. We could still include her in the song, talking to her passengers, and we needed to represent a wider breadth of how people were waking up that morning. And we realized that we could cut the verses into pieces and basically dole them out and we could find two characters, Diane and Kevin T, who were embracing this seize the day mentality and two characters in Hannah and Kevin J who were desperate to get back on the planes and did not want to be there. And it was really challenging finding a chorus that would work for all of them. Feeling like this is a messed up costume party can be both joyous and dark at the same time. And
0: it's somehow like we're stuck here at a messed up costume party. And there's nothing here familiar. Far away from those you care for on- An isolated island Island. Island.
2: That process went all the way through to Ford's Theatre, working on that song.
1: I remember doing it in Toronto, too. That's when Bev got cut. I remember rehearsing in the National Ballet Studios in Toronto.
2: So it wasn't until then that it really finally turned into what it was. But there were so many pieces about it. Chris continually wanted to look for conflict, which was hard in a piece that when we had researched you know, when we said, so was there any conflict? The Newfoundlanders were like, no, it all worked out great.
1: Or they'd be like, you know, oh, yeah, there are fights at the bar, but it's the same guys who always fight at the bar. Yeah. It, it
2: was really challenging to dig in and find those things. A, a lot of that came from becoming even more family with the people who we had interviewed. Beverly Bass shared some of her diary entries, which included a man who was strip searched and suspected at the very end, who inspired The, the Character Valley, along with a number of other interviews. We finally were able to interview Hannah. We had only interviewed beulah before and so meeting hannah and her entire family having our daughter run around with kevin kevin o'rourke his grandson was an amazing experience and we really felt like we were given permission to write from her perspective for i am here
1: hello hello it's me again yeah my son he's with rescue too any news i am his mother i'm far away stuck here i'm trying to find out if fine i hold again. I should be down there and checking the hospitals, putting up signs, doing something. Instead, I am here. I am here in Canada. I am telling you, listen, my son, he takes risks. He's not missing. He's helping or hurt. He'll get out of this. Yes, I'll keep trying. And yes, here's the number. And yes, at the Legion in Gander, I'll be right here. I should be there when it's over through the door and says, I'm home mom. I should be there for my son, but instead I am
2: And then in the middle of our Seattle round at Seattle Rep, Caesars, who plays Kevin Jay, got an email from Kevin Jay. And yeah. he was like, I think you're playing me in a musical. And Caesar said yes. We introduced him to the show and what we were doing. And he also fell in love with it and became part of the process. So it got richer and richer and richer. And at the same time, we were trying to pare it down and down and down and get it to be the tightest it possibly could be. All
0: I know is you are there.
3: Don't go away, Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for for the Earth Month eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do: head to FactorMeals.com/bn50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code BN50, as in Broadway Nation. BN50 at FactorMeals.com/bn50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while you're
0: That's chumbacasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. plus.
0: The winds start to pick up. 50 mile an hour winds. We have been here too long. We're still on the ground. There's a hurricane coming, and I'm thinking we're running out of time. We have to leave. We have to leave now.
3: In Come From Away, all of the characters narrate the story. They break the so-called fourth wall and directly address the audience. They are both inside and outside the story all at the same time. In addition to this podcast, I teach a course at the University of Washington about the history of the Broadway musical. And one thing that struck me as I was lecturing last quarter is that only a very small handful of the hundreds of musicals from the golden age of Broadway use this technique or include narration of any kind. But beginning with the Fantastics off-Broadway in 1960, and then bursting forth on Broadway with Hair in 1968, individual narrators and group narration became one of the hallmarks of what I call the modern era of Broadway, from Jesus Christ Superstar Evita and Pippin to Sweeney Todd, Ragtime, Into the Woods, and Rent, and dozens and dozens more continuing right up to today with Hamilton, Six, and Come From Away. And I wanted to know if that had been part of Irene and David's concept from the very beginning.
1: Yeah, I remember we were on a research trip. I guess it was just after we'd gone to Newfoundland. And I went and saw Peter and the Starcatcher, and David saw it once. And I remember looking we were, at we were the, dividing our dividing a, we yeah. were
2: dividing our money because we were like, "You go see one musical, I'll see the other one." Well, and so well, it
1: wasn't a musical though. Yeah, yeah. it was
2: shows. We'll meet in the middle and tell each other about it. And we met after the shows, and we were like, "Oh my God, you have to go see that!" And literally, we went to see it yeah. the, the other one the opposite day. And
1: but Peter and the Starcatcher had a big influence on it, like just talking to the audience and then. Going into a
2: scene. And the group storytelling of that. It felt like that was the key to unlock it, which we found. It's similar to Chorus Line. Group storytelling, where you're all telling the same story from different perspectives, felt like not only how Newfoundlanders get through their winters is by gathering together and singing songs and telling stories, but also, it was our experience in Newfoundland. Everyone was telling us their stories of this one event, and it's the event which is the antagonist, and everyone in the show is a protagonist. It's what unlocked the show for us.
3: Now talk us through the mind-boggling moment that had to be to open on Broadway to have the show become a hit for two writers from Canada there's not a giant tradition of Canadian Broadway writers I can only name one other team as far as I know I, I think we're the fifth Canadian musical on it's Broadway six
1: I can't remember, remember yeah. that other one but certainly um, on the yeah. shoulders
2: of drowsy chaperone and story of my life and rock by Hamlet Billy Bishop um,
1: another one
3: I know I feel like I'm missing one. Anyway, I'll I- do a little research. I'll I'll fill it in. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So here's what I found out. Come From Away is indeed the fifth musical to originate in Canada and eventually open on Broadway. The first was 1974's Rockaby Hamlet, with book, music, and lyrics by Cliff Jones. This rock musical adaptation of Shakespeare was originally titled Kronberg 1582 and was well-received first as a radio series on the CBC and then at the Charlottetown Theater Festival and on tour in Canada. This success led to a Broadway production with a new title and Gower Champion as its director. Rockabye Hamlet closed after only seven performances and became one of Broadway's legendary flop shows. Next in 1980 came the intimate and engaging Billy Bishop Goes to War. Written by John McLaughlin Gray, this show featured one actor playing 18 different roles to tell the story of real-life Canadian fighter pilot Billy Bishop during the First World War. This show nearly doubled the run of Rockaby Hamlet, closing after 12 performances. However, over the next 10 years or so, Billy Bishop Goes to War received scores of productions at theaters all across North America. The Story of My Life, with music and lyrics by Neil Bartram and book by Brian Hill, opened on Broadway in 2009. Unfortunately, it had an even shorter run than either of the previous two Canadian shows. However, the previous year, a group of Canadian writers finally scored a significant hit with The Drowsy Chaperone, book by Bob Martin and Don McKellar, and music and lyrics by Lisa Lambert and Greg Morrison. This delightful show opened on Broadway in 2008, received Tony Awards for Best Book and Best Original Score and ran for 674 performances
2: we didn't know that we were going to Broadway until we got to Washington, maybe. Yes, no
1: Washington we found out what theater we were in.
2: But the lines in La Jolla when it sold out there, I remember. I remember
1: Seattle. Like, we had gone home after opening night as writers do. Sue and Randy were like, you gotta come back. You gotta come back and see what's happening because it was just huge. I think they had some idea then of how it was gonna go and they were like, you should come see this. I think we were
2: exhausted at that time. But yeah, it it sold out. Debbie Bookholds in La Jolla saw the lineup and she was like, I haven't seen this since jersey boys seattle rap i remember breaking records and dc at breaking records we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that our producers thought that it was important that we brought the show to gander so we did two benefit concerts there with all the proceeds going back it's an incredible expensive endeavor to bring an entire broadway show to gander Yeah,
1: And you have to take a really small plane, which I don't like to do. (laughs) But we did it.
2: And it was amazing for the actors. It was amazing amazing. to feel the entire town because the entire town came out, cheer for this show and say, you got it right.
3: For that original cast to have that lived experience of being there and experiencing all those people and having their own come-from-away experience obviously informed the show. The show got so much richer and it was rich to begin with. But to see it after that was really amazing. The show just took a giant a leap forward i thought in terms of its impact yeah and then bringing it to toronto where it was originally developed
2: and it's a canadian story being celebrated where we had grown up watching musicals it was amazing and then broadway was amazing we were very nervous up until opening night and opening night went beautifully and then like three days later justin trudeau came and brought uh, 160 delegates and ivanka trump to the show which was mind-boggling. Immediately, we went into the Tonys, and we got to celebrate Chris, and I met Mark Hamill on the red carpet, and, which is clearly the highlight of everything. And then, such a geek. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge geek. And then it just kept going. The Toronto production, the national tour, having it open on the West End, where we never imagined the show could translate and have it win. The Olivier was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah.
3: yeah. How many companies are around the world right now, or will be very soon? Well, there's five official
2: companies have come from away. Australia is just reopening. Toronto is just reopening. The national tour has gone out. Broadway's back. London's back. And then on top of that, there's a lot of licenses which are coming about. We just saw the set design for the Dutch production, which is, you know, boggling after living with Beowulf for It's amazing set for so long. There's talk about bringing it to Buenos Aires and Iceland. I think the, Finland. And in the middle of the pandemic, Sweden did a version, which was very strange in the middle of the pandemic to be part of people still going back to the theater. It's been amazing to see this little show that's about this small community that we fell in love with that we thought high school students would be forced to do suddenly go around the world. And Australia, seeing it as a universal story, they had their 9-11 moment as well of feeling helpless and wanting to help. And also seeing it slowly well, and grow.
1: people from Australia. Yeah, and flight yeah. attendants. And yeah. yeah.
2: But also seeing the show become much more than just a historical document about what happened then. I think part of us being New Yorkers at the time and not wanting to write a 9 11 story, but wanting to write a 9 12 story, the show's taken on more resonance because it's a way that we can respond to crises and a way that we can respond to darkness with kindness. Even when we were in Seattle and the Paris attacks happened, we talked with Chris. We were like, should we say something at the beginning of the show? Should we do something? And we decided that the show speaks for itself. This is a way that that you can respond when there's darkness out there that Mr. Rogers' mother told him to look for the helpers. It's a way of remembering that people are good in the world.
1: A lot of educators now use it to teach 9-11. They talk about what happened there first, then they say, and this happened because. Yeah. And so the focus is on the response and not on the violence.
2: Certainly now, coming back from the pandemic, it feels like it's a story about taking care of your community and how do you do that? Even if it's not coming together in Legion halls, it, it is now, it's coming together yeah. in theaters and Remembering that we need that. In schools
1: and again, them. places of worship, yeah.
3: and all of it. Yeah. And now everyone in the world can see the video capture of it.
2: Yeah, that was such a wonderful opportunity in the middle of the pandemic to bring our cast back. It's such a huge endeavor to bubble a whole Broadway cast and to shoot it in the middle of COVID. But it was amazing and it felt like the two were combined together. The way Chris shot it was beautiful and it was a new way for us to bring people on stage and to see the show from new perspectives and to share it with 100 countries around the world was such an incredible opportunity. You
3: mentioned the thing about high school students, and I love that educators are using it. One of the strengths of the show, from my point of view, has always been that we all relive our own 9-11 experience while the show is happening, which gives it a tremendous sort of double power. Have you experienced it with people who didn't live through 9-11? They have a completely different experience of it, I would think.
1: Yes and no, because I remember after the bombings, the Boston Marathon, a lot of the kids that we worked with uh, at Goodspeed, they just started texting us right away and said, uh, we thought right way of you guys and the show. That's kind of what got them through. They were at BoCo. They were in the area, if not down there at the time.
2: Right. And actually working with those kids was the first start of that because we also weren't sure how well it would resonate with young people who might have been really young when 9-11 happened or might not have even been born. But they connected to it not only because of the material which is not 9-11 focused but it's how you respond to a tragedy but also because the show moves at a speed that they were used to. It felt filmic to them even though when we showed it to film people they thought it was very theatrical but it was somewhere in between but it was very quick cut it had an improv mentality of cut to that scene cut yeah. to this point yeah but since then we've had so many young people come to us and come to the show sometimes dressed as beverly bass or or people from there and we never would have expected that but they love the story of nick and diane falling in love oh apparently my God, do they
1: love it we're told by our pilot to stay close to our shelters so we're ready to go again so we end
2: up on one last walk. To this gorgeous lookout, the
3: Dover Falls. There's about a million stairs. It's
2: beautiful. Nick, you gotta see this. Wow. I can't believe we're here. I know. I can't believe we're leaving.
0: I don't want to go.
2: What did you say?
0: Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna get a picture or two. Oh, okay. Stop the word. Take a picture. Try to capture. To ensure this moment lasts We're still in it, but in a minute That's the limit And this present will be
2: past. So here we are Where the world has come together So here
0: she'll be In this picture forever
2: There's not enough old people falling in love in their lives. I think in many ways the show safely lets you explore why the world is the way it is right now. In a moment when the world really changed, it tells young Muslim kids why their parents might be afraid or why the security at an airport is the way it is. It's a way to start those conversations and there's something about it that I think resonates with people of all ages.
3: So I know you have to go, but can you give us a hint of what you're working on? What's next? We have so many irons in the fire, so many we can't really talk about, but we're working on TV movies for
2: Disney and Netflix. So we were working on a TV show for Warner Brothers. We have new musical ideas, which we are kicking around constantly and are slowly turning into baby musicals. Yeah, we're quite busy. And during the pandemic, we did an ad for Canada. It's wonderful how Come From Way has given us a lot of opportunities that we never would have had before. It's a lot of new stuff that will hopefully eventually
3: come out. Fantastic. Can't wait to see what it is. Irene and David, thank you so much for being our guest today. Wonderful to talk to you and wonderful to reconnect. I can't wait to go back to a theater and see Come From Away again for I don't know how many times I've seen it so far. But it will be wonderful to experience it live in the very near future, I hope.
2: Thanks for telling the story and thanks for being part of the history of it. It was fun to actually talk about that workshop there's been a lot now right and so it's fun to go into that and be like oh it was actually a really
3: pivotal moment and so we appreciated the support thank you thanks so much take care As always, I am fascinated by connecting the dots along the timeline of the Broadway musical and exploring how each era's new theatrical innovations inspired the next generation of book writers, composers, and lyricists, and how they then passed on their discoveries to the following generation. One of the most important advances was the development of extended musical sequences, which were hinted at in the finalettos of the musicals of the 1920s and 30s, but for the most part were invented by Roger and Hammerstein with the bench scene in Carousel, a sequence that Stephen Sondheim calls the singular most important moment in the evolution of contemporary musicals. My colleague Albert Evans provides a brilliant analysis of that revolutionary creation in episode 13 of Broadway Nation, How the Bench Scene Changed Broadway. Sondheim, along with nearly every other musical theater dramatist, expanded on the techniques they learned from Rodgers and Hammerstein and developed the kind of extended musical sequences that have become, to my mind, one of the strongest elements and most engaging attributes of the Broadway musical. Think of A Weekend in the Country from A Little Night Music, or Hello 12, Hello 13, Hello Love from A Chorus Line, or the opening sequence of Ragtime, and many sections of Wicked, just to name a few. With Come From Away, Irene and David have taken this concept even further. Come From Away is basically one giant non-stop musical sequence that encompasses the entire show, from the first note to the finale. It is truly a breathtaking achievement. And once again, we can connect the dots in the ongoing continuum of the Broadway musical from Carousel to Come From Away, each team of creators inspired, whether they know it or not, by the geniuses and the shows that came before them.
0: One, two. One two, three, four. Welcome to the friends who have come from away. Welcome to the locals who have always said they'd stay. If you're coming from Toledo or you're coming from Taipei, because we come from everywhere, we are. come from away. Welcome to the ride!
3: Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. For more on Come From Away, I invite you to listen to one of the most popular episodes of Broadway Nation, episode 34, which is titled Community, Major Themes of the Broadway Musical, Part 3. Special thanks to Pals Mox for his assistance with editing this episode, to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. With
2: all the new security, kids aren't even allowed up into the anymore. Of course, on my retirement flight I brought my whole family into the cockpit on our way back to Gander.
0: I came back with the scholarship money we raised, now worth over a million dollars. I bring out the Irish whiskey and we have ourselves a toast. Nick and I just couldn't make the long-distance relationship work. So I moved to Texas, and then I proposed. And we honeymooned in Newfoundland. My new secretary's name is Robin. What's up?
1: Every year on September 11th, I close my office and give each employee $100 to go and do random good deeds for strangers, it's my way of remembering what happened. Beulah and I still keep in touch. She even came to visit me in New York. And I'll still phone her if I hear a really stupid joke. Beulah, why are Newfoundlanders terrible at knock knock jokes? I don't know, Hannah. We'll try it. I'll be a
0: Newfoundlander. Knock knock. We are most honored by just arrived today.
2: It's about four meters long and 1,200 kilograms.
0: Newfoundland is the only place outside the United States where we share the steel from the World Trade Center. On the northeast tip of North America, on an island called Newfoundland, there's an airport. And next to it is a town called Gander.
3: Tonight, we honor what was last. But we also commemorate what
0: we found.